I've been thinking this week just on this on this um, subject of how desperately I need the Lord. And I thought that perhaps there'd be a couple of other people here that feel the same way this morning. Just how much I need the Lord. Some people don't think they need God, but I'm just smart enough to know how desperately I do. And despite man's artistic pretensions and all of our sophistication and all of our advancements in technology, man still owes the fact of his existence to a six-inch layer of topsoil and the fact that it rains. We can study all of that, and we have. Man can now tell you about the contents of dirt. They could tell you how important it is for the sun to shine. They could tell you how important it is for just the right amount of water and can tell you how much water. But here's the fact. Man can't create the dirt cannot create the sun and cannot create the water. No matter how smart we get, how advanced we become, we're still always going to need God. Some of us aren't thinking in those terms. We're not thinking that we need God in those complicated levels. We haven't gotten to that yet. We're still thinking about how desperately we need Him in our personal life right now. Because of situations in our family, situations at our workplace, or maybe where we attend classes, circumstances involving people in our lives. Some of you are sitting in this room right now and you have been praying and fasting and desperately seeking God for answers. You haven't been so much thanking Him for six inches of topsoil. You take that one for granted, or for the sun, or for the water. You take those things for granted. But every day you find yourself calling out to God and saying, I desperately need you today in my life. Our text today is taken from the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. I want you just to, let's read Psalm 119 together. There's only 176 verses. You start, and we'll just each one take a verse. How about if we do it this way instead? The six people already got up and went out before I could... No. How about if I read verses 1 and verses 176? Our Lord, you bless everyone who lives right and obeys your law. Let's get that. You bless everyone who lives right and and obeys your law. Then you skip down to the 176th verse. And the author writes these words. I am your servant, but I have wandered away like a lost sheep. Please come after me because I have not forgotten your teachings. And everything in between those two verses is focused on saying the same thing over and over and over from a different angle. If you read that, and some of you have never been able to sit down and read all of Psalm 119 in one setting. I did the other day, though. I read it all the way through and then back and forth and back and forth because I wanted to get the gist of it. I wanted to understand it in its context. 
175 verses point me back and forth and back and forth over and again from angle and all around to the same thing, the law of God. The importance of the word of God, of me knowing and understanding and living according to that word. And what will happen if I do over and over? I'm told I'll be saved. I'll be blessed. I'll be prospered. I'll be changed. I'll be bettered. All of these good things will happen as a result of me adhering to this law of God. The author doggedly reminds us of how much he respects, loves, and follows God's laws. Now that's the gist of 175 verses. Right off the bat, he tells us that the one who obeys God's law will live right and be blessed. So it stands to reason that the reverse is logical as well, doesn't it? If the one who obeys the law lives right and is blessed, it stands to reason that the one that doesn't won't and won't be blessed. So I'm beginning to understand how beneficial this is, how the value that he places on it. I'm reading through here for 175 verses and I'm like, I'm getting it, I'm getting it. I understand it as a communicator. We do this. We, we, we look for ways to say the same thing over and over but in a way that you won't think we did. With the idea being that if I'll do that for 20 to 25 minutes, you'll walk away and you'll get one thing. And that one thing will be what I hoped you would get. Now, I may have said it all different ways and came at it with points and pointed back and forth, but there was a gist of what I was hoping you would get. So I'm reading 175 verses and I get the gist. And I'm confused by the last verse. 175 verses about the goodness and the benefit of the laws of God and how the author loves the law and the word of God and how that it is his life. It must be 175 verses worth. This guy loves the word of God. And then he says, I'm your servant, but I've wandered away like a lost sheep. What? We just spent 175 verses talking about not doing that. And that's what you're going to leave me with. I am your servant, but like a lost sheep, I have wandered away. Please come after me because I have not forgotten your teachings. Who is this author? You know, when you begin to study this out, you realize a lot of people think it was Ezra. Anybody remember Ezra? Ezra and Nehemiah, the, the two fellows that went back to rebuild Jerusalem after it had been destroyed and ransacked. Nehemiah goes back to do the physical work. Ezra is the spiritual leader. What if Ezra is the guy writing Psalm 119? A lot of people think it is. What if it is? What would qualify him to write these 176 verses and then what could possibly cause that guy to say what he does in 176 I went back and looked at this I won't read it all to you but I got to show you you go back to Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 the scripture said Ezra had spent his entire life studying and obeying what the law of the Lord he spent his entire life studying and obeying the law of the Lord and teaching it to others Hence, 175 verses. 
that he was the priest and an expert in the laws and the commands that the Lord had given Israel. You go on to verse 25 and you see where he's being told Ezra, use the wisdom God's given you and choose officials and, and leaders to govern the people of the Western province. These leaders should know God's laws and have them taught to anyone who doesn't know them. And anyone who fails to obey them or the king's law will be punished without pity. They'll either be executed or put in prison or forced to leave their country or have everything they have taken away. Wow. This law is pretty important, isn't it? This word is pretty important. You go to chapter 9, verse 1 later. Later on, after this is what's been laid upon these people. Ezra comes in and says, well, I've been, you know, I've been given this uh, uh, authority for whatever reason to be the spiritual leader. I understand, know the law, love the law. Uh, the king stays with me on this. We're going to obey the Lord's law and the king's law. Anybody that doesn't, they're going to kill them. All right. Good? Good. Okay. Later on, chapter 9, verse 1, the Jewish leaders came to Ezra and said, many of the Israelites, including priests and Levites, are living just like the people around them. They're even guilty of some of the horrible sins of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and Jebusites and Ammonites and Moabites and Egyptians and Amorites and all the parasites. And some Israelite men have married foreign women and have let their sons do the same thing. And our own officials and leaders were the first to commit this disgusting sin. And now God's holy people are mixed with foreigners. Verse 3, Ezra says, It made me so angry that I ripped my clothes and tore my hair off of my head and my beard. Then I just sat in shock, he said. Ezra 10, chapter, or chapter 10, verse 10. Ezra then, he's, he's trying to deal with what I just said. So he stands up and he says to the people, you've broken God's law by marrying these foreign women and you've made the whole nation guilty. And now you're going to have to confess your sin to the Lord. And you're going to have to obey him and you have to divorce your foreign wives and don't have anything to do with the rest of the foreigners who live around here. Verse 44. So those men divorced their foreign wives and sent them and their children away. Sometimes it's painful to give up sinful and bad decisions. Don't do it because if you do, it's going to be bad. Well, I think I'll do it anyway and take my chances. All right, you did. What happened? I came back to God and he forgave me. But, boy, I sure lost a lot. In this case, they're giving up their wives and the children that have been born in that union. You say, that's not right. God shouldn't have demanded that. He didn't. He demanded that they don't marry him in the first place so it wouldn't happen. Man is the one that now has put himself in this bad spot because of his refusal to adhere to the law and the word of God that we know if we don't, will cause great pain. And so I'm reading this and I'm studying this and I'm thinking about this guy. If it is Ezra who loves the word of God and he's sworn to obey it and he's the spiritual leader of all these people and he's the one that who is enforcing that that law be kept and he's respected and he's revered by all the people, even a, a pagan king respects him. And now this Ezra says in Psalm 119, 176, I need you, Lord, this guy. 
I need you, Lord. And surprisingly, for the following reasons. Notice his reasons for saying, I need you, Lord, are not because others are sinning and falling and failing and wandering, even though they are correct. We just established that they are. The others have messed up really bad. But here comes Ezra now saying they may have messed up, but this verse is my verse. I'm wandering. I need you, Lord, for myself. My reasons are mine and they're theirs, too. See, no matter how close you get to God, you always end up at some point finding yourself falling back at particular seasons. I love those highly charged spiritual times, not just in altars, but in times in my own life where I'm walking so close to God that I can hear hear his whisper. And then invariably things happen in our lives and you end up thinking, how did I get so far away? You wake up one day and you're trying to hear the whisper of God and you're like, hang on a minute, I don't know if I can hear him shout. Where'd he go? And God's like, I can go nowhere. You wandered off, but I've been right here. And I'm still speaking like I did. How's that happen? How'd I get here, Lord? And I find myself saying, man, I need you, God. I need you because, boy, left to my own devices, I sure end up in trouble. Anybody relating yet so far? If this is Ezra, the fellow who knows and loves and 175 verses of the law and the word and how good it is, can at the end of that summation, concluding paragraph say, oh yeah, but in light of how much I love it and need it and, and, and worship God and, and enforce it and, and lead others to it, I still find myself at times saying, well, I need you, God. Not just them, but I need you, God. Get your pen, your bulletin. Let me show you what he said. I need you, Lord. Number one, I am your servant. Hmm. Well, if you're his servant, then why are you having these problems? Because everybody I've ever known that was his servant had problems. Every Christian I've ever known, no matter how devout they were, or how much they appeared to have it all together, every single one of them is reminded of their frailties, reminded of their inabilities in the presence of God. I need you, Lord. And I got a feeling that there's some people in this room this morning that are going to be able to identify with this word and hit your knees and be able to pray the same prayer that it looks like this verse is turning out to be. You're that individual who says, I am his servant, but sometimes I don't feel like it. Not that he's abandoning me, it's just I don't think I'm good enough for this. I don't seem to measure up. I mean, I hear what the word says and I love the word and I love to pray and I love to come to church and I love, but I just don't seem to be able to put enough consistent steps together over and over to ever get to the place of some of these super spiritual people that I so highly respect. I just don't seem to be able to get myself there. Hmm. I need you, Lord. My prayer looks like this. God, I mess up. I make mistakes, and sometimes I even commit sin. 
There's a difference between mistakes and sin. I mean, sometimes you, 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 you might sin as a mistake, but most of the time when you sin, you knew it. Yeah. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to get away with saying, you know, uh, I made a mistake when, when it really was a sin and you say, uh, you know, I, I made a mistake and I did something I shouldn't have done. I know I wasn't supposed to do that, but I did anyway. Well, how did you do that? Well, you know, I was just going along and I tripped and fell. And when I was falling, 12 cans of beer just fell right down my throat. And I ended up being drunk before I even knew what happened. Wasn't my fault, but I made a mistake. Those things don't happen. Can we be real? I mean, unwanted pregnancies. Really? That that was a mistake? At what point you didn't know what was going on or going to happen? I, I was just there and the next thing I knew. And here come this baby. Sometimes we get real around here, don't we? So sometimes I make mistakes. I legitimately make mistakes, but sometimes I just flat out commit sin. Saying something I shouldn't say or thinking something I know not to think. But in my heart, God, I want nothing more than to be your pleasing child. I'm not perfect. I'm not even close to it. But I dearly love you, God. And I want with everything that is in me to be your child and to be your servant. Does that sound like a prayer you've ever prayed? I messed up again, God. I did it again. I'm sorry, but I do love you. How many times are you going to keep taking me back? He says, with that kind of an attitude forever. You really mean it. The minute you just start praying it with no intentions of change, then I'm not going to pay much attention to that one. But, but the contrite, broken, humble prayer of the one who does love me above all else and truly does love my word. See, that's what happens to a lot of us. We live under such condemnation because we truly do love his presence and we love his power. We love his word. We love to pray. We love to fellowship. We love to be in his house. But we make mistakes and the devil says, well, that's it. I mean, ain't this like the second or third time you've had to pray over that thing? Yeah, well, that, I mean, God's done. You should have learned. I should have learned. I know it's not that I shouldn't have learned or should have learned or whatever. I did learn. I know. I just did it. And I feel as bad about it now as I did the other time that I did that. I still feel bad about it. But God, I need you. Please don't. Give up on me. I'm your servant. I may not always act like it. I may not always sound like it. But in my heart of hearts, I desire to serve you. And I I need your help. And I need your patience. And I need your forgiveness. And I need your forbearance. And I need your strength. Hang on to me, God. Whether I deserve it or not is not the issue. Hang on to me because I desperately want you to. Somebody say amen. My heart knows and loves 
and appreciates your word and your expectations, but I need your help. Number two, he said, I'm wandering like a lost sheep. You know, I'm told that when sheep get lost, that they'll just keep wandering further and further away. Even if they can hear the bleeding of the other sheep, they will wander in the direction away from the call of help. They will keep going away, even when they can hear it. How dumb is that? About as dumb as us, huh? That do it. They can hear them calling, yet they would say, I hear you, and just keep going the wrong direction. Doesn't make any sense. That's why you get so put out with some of the people you pray for, and you're like, they know better. I know they know better because I've told them. I keep calling. I keep telling them. And they just keep going. And here's what I've heard about the lost sheep. The lost sheep, even hearing the voice of the help that refuses to come back to the voice but continues to go, will only come back when the shepherd physically comes and gets them and takes them back to the flock. I need you, God. Here I am. I'm out here wandering again. I can hear the songs in the background. I can hear the messages of all the years I've heard. I know the principles and I know the points. I know the messages. I know the songs, but I'm out here. Oh God, but I do love you. Would you come and get me again? Would you come and get me again? Because even though I hear them and I know I ought to do so, I know I ought to, but would you come and make me come back home? I'm wandering. I love you right now, Lord, but I maybe you feel this way. I, I feel like I'm just in a fog. I'm just dazed. I'm lost. I'm just wandering around aimlessly. I don't know how I got here. I'm, I'm confused as how things got to this point. I'm afraid about how it's going to turn out. I'm angry that I didn't see it coming, but I couldn't stop it anyway. God, I love you, and I just don't know anything right now. I'm wandering. I need you. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? I ought to know better. I've been serving you all these years. How is it possible for somebody that knows what I know, been where I've been, to get where I'm at? Anybody ever said that? At that point, I know all the right things. I know the scriptures. I know the advice. I know the counsel. But I need you, Lord, to come get me and bring me back home. And he will when you pray for it. He went on and he said, I need you to come after me. The Hebrew word there means to search out by any method. It is to strive after. It's to ask, beg, or beseech. And that's what the author's asking for. That's the same thing that we're praying for. We say, God, please come after me. Search for me because I obviously can't find my way alone. Come and find me because right now I can't find you. I want to. I need to. I just don't know how to. I cry, I pray, I wait, I hope, but I don't know how to get back home to you. I'm lost, I'm broken, I'm afraid. I'm talking about Christians right now. Please come and find me. I need you, Lord. Christians have a hard time responding to this message because like, well, if I respond to that message, it means I'm a sinner. It means I don't have it all together. It means I shouldn't be in the leadership position I'm in. I'm supposed to be perfect. 
Man, if we wait for people to be perfect to do the will and the word and the works of God, will none of us ever do anything. I need you. And he said the fourth one, he says, I have not forgotten what your teachings. We understand that, Ezra. 175 verses, we understand that. You know it, don't you, fella? Yeah, I know it. You hadn't forgot, have you? No, I hadn't forgot. The word is still valid. It's still right. It's still full of life. I still know your word, Lord. It's not that I've turned away from you. It's not my wish to walk away from you. I still know yours is the only way. I just don't know how to access everything right now. My distress has blurred my vision. I still read. I still pray. I still fellowship. I still seek after the things of God. I still desire your presence and your spirit. None of that's changed. I just don't know how to encounter you right now. Anybody relate? You hear the people pray and they say, and then they say, I pray, Pastor, but I just feel like my prayers are just hitting like a, they're just hitting a brass ceiling. That's the person at this point. Still love God, still want to serve him. I haven't forgotten his power. I haven't forgotten his presence. I haven't forgotten his anointing. I just need you. And our author today, he had lost sight of something, it wasn't, it, it, he never lost sight of the, his devotion for God. He never lost sight of what, the, of what the word of God and the law of God was all about. He just got off track for a minute and he couldn't figure out how to get back on track. Anybody ever done that? I'm not just talking to sinners today that haven't ever figured out how to get on track. I'm talking about Christians that's been on track for a long, long time. Got off, can't figure out how they did. Don't want to be, they want to be on track. They just can't figure out how, how to get back on. This spring, I decided to take my John Deere mower over to John Deere and have it serviced. You know, I thought, well, I've hit enough rocks and stumps. And probably need to have this deck leveled and I need to have the blades probably changed, at least sharpened. While they're there, I must let them change the oil and just do the whole works, you know. So I loaded it up on the trailer and drove it over. We don't want to live but about a mile from there, you know, out Tawny Town. So uh, I drove over and took it off trailer, left it with them. They got done with it and they called and they said, what's finished? We did everything you want to do. You can come pick it up. So I said, all right, we will. And I told Deb, I said, let's drive by there on the way home. I said, you just drop me off and I'll ride it home. Ain't but about a mile. So as I said, they just got done adjusting that deck. I don't want to put it back on the trailer and take a chance. It don't come up real high and I don't want to hit the deck on the trailer and mess up. So let's, I'll just ride it home. It ain't no big deal. So she dropped me off and I paid him and I got on my mower and I felt pretty good about it. It's early spring, back March, kind of a brisk day. We hadn't started mowing yet. I thought this was kind of fun. Get back on my mower. I like mowing. I got on my mower and I started back home. How do y'all love Sonic? I like Sonic. I like Sonic. The Sonic's got them curbs. I mean, they got curbs everywhere. So when I left, I, you know, my mower don't go fast. The first thing I figured out, it's got that. That hydrostatic transmission, you know, you just push the pedal like on a gas, on a, on a car. It's kind of neat, you know, you don't have to do all the gears on it. You just push that pedal down. So I hit that, and the first, first thing come to me, I was I like riding this tractor, but I didn't realize it don't go as fast as I thought it did out here on 412 with four lanes of traffic going on. It's not quite as fast as what I thought it was. 
What I'm going to need to do is I'm going to need to stay out of the road. I'm going to need to I'm going to need to stay over here in the, on, the, on this ditch, you know, just right here on the side. And I'm looking between here and down there, and it looks pretty level, and I think I'm going to be all right. And so I head that way, and I got the Sonic, and there's my first curb. And I'm like, I don't want to, I can't go over that curb, and so I'll ride down here at the end. And I think if I go around, I can, I mean, Sonic's got some curbs now. Curbs everywhere. There is not a place at Sonic that does not have a curb. Now I'm on this real steep embankment riding, and people at Sonic are ordering up their drinks, and they're looking at a crazy guy over there trying to keep his mower from flipping. This, the guy with the big silver dollar eyes is not mowing, but he's like he's lost. Who's the guy on the John Deere mower? And the manager's coming out looking like, is this some kind of a terrorist situation? Or... And I have circled Sonic and I'm trying to, and I'm done. Derek got out. I'm not getting out in the road because I'm facing oncoming traffic. And they're coming down there. It's right where that turns from 60 is 45, but it says 45, but they hadn't done it yet. It's still 60 in their mind. And I'm like, this is not good. And Deb is hovering around in her Kia back in the fourth and around and watching this whole situation, much to my dismay and her delight, I'm sure. Until finally I have circled Sonic as long as I can and I've become frustrated and I ride back to John Deere. She pulls in and says, what you going to do? I said, well, I need you to go scout me out a way home. Take the key and drive and see if you can find a way to get home. And so she takes off back toward Tawny Town and comes back after a while. She's found a road. It's just a long way. And so I started my journey on my tractor riding as much as I could in this off of the road and trying to stay out of ditches and missing curbs and all that. And I found a way to do it. I finally got on the road and, and I mean, I think that little leisurely fun spring enjoying ride caught, ended up taking me between 45 minutes and an hour. And it was just frustrating and scary. It was the ride from hell. <laughs> this is what people do in hell. Except everything's on fire. Get on that John Deere. Ride through them flames. Just see if you can get past Sonic. And for years and years and years, they just frantically ride around Sonic. On a John Deere tractor. Trying to keep the flames beat off. Sometimes life is like that. You have a plan, but it just doesn't go as smoothly as you thought it was going to. You got up and you said, I'm going to do such and such today. It's easy. I do it all the time. But everything in the world could happen wrong did. And three hours later, you haven't done nothing, but you got six projects of things you got to fix so you can originally do what you meant to do. Sometimes life goes like that. Sometimes another person makes a decision that affects you in a, in a terrible way and you never saw it coming. Or, or sometimes you receive information that completely floors you. And you know what? When that happens, you need the Lord. And thankfully we have him. And he may be silent right now, but he's still there. 
And the cool thing about God is he's not surprised by the spot that you're in. This didn't catch him off guard. He knew there were curbs at Sonic. So he patiently watching you ride around and around with your silver dollar eyes. At some point, though, you pull back in someplace safe and scream, I need you, Lord, because I'm not ever going to get home if you don't help me. See, it's not always enough just to know all 175 verses. To be able to live by them, enforce them, and tell other people what they say. Sometimes you still find yourself having to pray the prayer of the last verse. 175 verses of we know and 176 of now what because we don't. We thought we had it all together. We thought we knew. We thought we were going to make this thing go. And then all of a sudden there were curbs. And now what are we going to do? He says, I'm your servant. I still am. Nothing's changed. I've wandered away like a lost sheep. I don't know why I know better, but I did. Please come after me because I can't figure out how to get back by myself. I haven't forgotten your teachings. I just can't figure out how to access them right now. And how many of you would say, man, that's my word today. That's my word. That's where I'm at right now. I sense and feel the same thing you're talking about, Pastor. I know the truth. I know what they're going to tell me if I ask someone for counseling. I know what they're going to say. But it's not helping right now. I need God to come and get me. I need him to come and load up my tractor and take me home. You stand to your feet. Close your eyes. Respect this moment. It's not very late. I don't want you to be in a big hurry. Moments like these are special times. I feel like some of you need to pray this prayer today. And I want to open it up for you so you can. And I want to ask our prayer team if you would come. Come down and, and, and stand here. If, if, unless you need to respond. If you want to respond to this word, go ahead. But, but if you're in the prayer team and you want to come and be here to pray for people, just come and stand and wait. And any of you that would like to access this prayer team, these, these guys love you. They pray for you. And they want to bear your burden. So if you want them to pray with you, you come on. But I also want to open up the altars for this way. There are some that would say, I I like to have people praying for me. Sometimes I just want to pray by myself. I want you to, to, to whatever is going to be most effective and necessary for you today is how I want you to access this word. So I'm opening up the altars and I'm saying to you, if this is your word today, come down, bring your notes, get on your knees and pray this prayer. I am your servant, Lord. Nothing's changed. I am your servant. I love you, but I'm lost right now. And I need you to come back and get me and bring me back where I need to be. I still love your word. Nothing's changed. I understand all that. I just really need some help today, God. Would you come and meet me in this place? If that's going to be your prayer, then just step out. Come on, step out. All over this room, come and fill these altars. There's a lot of you or the Lord wouldn't have given me the word today. There's several of you. So come down, find yourself a spot. Come to one of these or find yourself a spot. But we're just going to spend a few minutes today praying this prayer and asking God to get us back on track. And guess what? He's going to. He's not afraid. He's not confused. He's not scared. He's not lost. He's not wandering. And all he's waiting on is for you to pray that prayer. Pray it and mean it in your heart. And he's coming after you. 
He's coming after you again today. He's going to reveal himself to you again today in a fresh and new and exciting way again. He's going to help you get back on the track you feel like you're off of. He's going to help you get back on. Who am I talking to? Come on. Come and pray. Come and pray. All over this room, let's turn this into a, a, a prayer sanctuary again. Just a place where we're going to wait on the Lord and seek God today.